Hey, My Mom's Basement listeners, you can find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube, and Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Did you know that this March, a whopping 86% of you will be sneaking peeks at the games when you're supposed to be working? It's the least productive month in sports, and Dave & Buster's is celebrating with an all-day $5 happy hour on March 21st for the first round of games. So ditch your second tabs for big screens, cold beers, and free Wi-Fi. But most importantly, stop pretending to work at the office and start pretending to work at Dave & Buster's on March 21st at participating locations only. I am thrilled with the episode that you have in front of you today because it is maybe my favorite episode of this show that we've done. At least my favorite one where I've brought on guests from the outside world, not from the office, and sat down with them because I feel it's the most comfortable I've ever been in doing these interviews. Before we get into them, remember, rate, comment, subscribe, review, whatever you got to do to this podcast. I think it's just subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever you can do it on. Um, that helps us out and talk about the show on Twitter. That's the biggest thing for me is just keep the conversation going on Twitter. You know, it's the, the best way to get eyes on the show basically is for me to be tweeting about it, for you to be tweeting about it. So keep that rolling. Thank you very much if you have been doing it. I appreciate it so, so, so much. Uh, now let's get to the interviews. So we have a special Bellator 222 edition of the show today. That card is going down tonight, June 14th, if you're listening to this on release date at Madison Square Garden. I will be there, Kate side and I am absolutely stoked I can't wait it's just a stacked card from top to bottom even the prelims have people like Aaron Pico and Heather the Heat Hardy and Valerie Letourneau like these big up-and-coming names on it so top to bottom stacked card it's going to be on DAZN at 10 p.m. I think this isn't even an ad I'm just really really interested in this card as a mixed martial arts fan i spoke to two people associated with it this week one who is fighting in the co-main event and one who is joining the commentary team for the very first time so the the first interview we're going to get into here is my sit down with chael p sonnen the bad guy the american gangster an absolute legend of the sport and someone i've admired for so many years you can hear how nervous i was in the beginning of this interview and i think as it goes along i get a little bit more comfortable but the second interview is with Elimale McFarlane, the Bellator 125-pound women's champion. And honestly, that interview may be the smoothest interview I've ever done. And it was one of my favorite interviews I've ever done, if not my favorite, because she honestly is just the most down-to-earth, likable champion mixed martial arts has right now. And I really can't wait for her to become one of the biggest megastars in mixed martial arts. On Monday's show, I have John Cavanaugh. That's right, the John Cavanaugh, Conor McGregor's coach. He sat down with me this week in New York City, and we talked all things Conor McGregor, all things SBG Ireland, and all things John Cavanaugh. And it is a hell of an interview. You're going to learn a lot. Your mind will be blown by a few things, as well as Samoa Joe. Jared Carabas and I sat down with Samoa Joe and got to talk to him about working with Rey Mysterio. Joe actually roasted me. It was like the fourth time I've interviewed him. And he absolutely roasted me to begin the interview. So it was it was tough, but it made for a fun time. Let's get into the first interview of the show here with Chael Sonnen, and I'll catch you afterwards to intro the interview with Alima Leigh McFarlane. 
Welcome back to the show. Joining me now is one of my favorite mixed martial artists of all time. He's the undefeated, undisputed champion of the world. It's Chael P. Sonnen. It's true. The bad guy. It's all true. What's happening, my friend? What's going on? It's Thursday right now. How, how are you feeling? Still famous, still rich, still yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. One, one day, day out from the fight? Uh, one or two. Yeah, I don't know when the fight. What's today? Tuesday? Today's Thursday. Today's Tuesday. 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 Nobody Tuesday, knows. Sorry. That's the thing. See, Nobody I'll knows make, for I'm all sure. mess, messed up now because I looked at my computer. No one knows for sure. I mean, we could debate it back and forth. Fourth, but yes, the fight's going to be Friday at Madison Square Garden. Yep. On DAZN, did we mention that? It, it will be on DAZN, and you are facing Loyota Machida. Yes. One of the greatest of all time. You are two legends. How do you feel about everyone coming into this saying, like, two legends square off? I suppose it's meant to be very nice. I, when I look at legends, look at them as old guys, as guys that have retired. The guys aren't uh, still competing in the sport. And so uh, that's how I've always looked at it. But I know it's meant to be a compliment, so I try to be humble and yeah. say thank you. Yeah. And this is an interesting fight because it's at Madison Square Garden, and I feel like myself included, a lot of reporters are guilty of asking fighters, oh, my God, how does it feel to fight at Madison Square Garden, this iconic building? And last time you had fun with it and you were saying, I don't want to fight in New York, and even this time a little bit on the go around, you're kind of trashing the city. What was it like as someone that has fought at Madison Square Garden? Well, was the, it any different? The building's a dump in fairness. <laughs> in all, not having fun like last time. In all fairness, the building's a dump, but um, – you know, there's something special about it, I guess. But here's what people say, that there's been a bunch of legends that have been there, and the Rolling Stones played there, and the, you know, blah, blah, blah is going to play there. You know, people play all over the place. You sell tickets, people come. That's why they built the damn arena. I, I don't really get it myself. To be fair, I don't really understand it. Are you excited, though, like that your name is added to that list? When people talk about who has fought there, they will say Chel Sonnen. That is a tremendous honor. In fairness, yes, that, that is something special. And are you excited about the card? Because you're, you're uh, pretty much an ambassador for all of mixed martial arts, and I feel like you have been for a long time. You were one of the first with ESPN even before the UFC made a deal with ESPN or anything like that. How do you feel about this card? Because as a fan, there's a lot of legends like yourself, and then there's a lot of young people on the up and up. Aaron Pico is one that I could mention. Sure. How do you feel about the, the card? Oh, I love it. You know, my career started as a fan. I'm a fan now. My career will end as a fan. Um I think it's great. I, I like the main event above everything else, even aside from my fight. I'm looking forward to the main event. Roy McDonald, who, who's the the best fighter under Bellator contract, taking on uh, the most rising up-and-comer, 9-0, and Neiman Gracie. No politics in this one. Straight line bracket. They figure this one out on themselves. Grand Prix on the line. I mean, there's a lot on the line right yep. there. I think it's a special fight. And I saw you mention recently, actually, I think just yesterday, that you wanted to start enjoying the process more and enjoying the fight more, enjoying your career because you said – you have a lot of regrets in your career, but the number one is that you never enjoyed it. And I, I thought that was an interesting interesting takeaway as a fan. You never realized that because you seem like the guy that is enjoying it. You're always doing the press and media, and you're always out there, and you're always on. What do you feel prevented you from that your whole career? Was it just the stress of fighting, or was it the commitments of doing media, or was it what prevented you from enjoying some of the fights and places you got to travel and stuff in your career? I think you just nailed it. So, you know, I had so much opportunity, and I'm so grateful for it. It was wonderful to participate, and it's very hard to participate in this sport unless you're getting in there and fighting, which we're only going to do three times a year. Only thing about this sport that drives me crazy is we're only going to do it three times a year. So, um, yeah, when I was able to participate and stay busy and active in some other roles— 
it became a job in some ways, and it became stressful and making towns and making airplanes and checking into hotels. And um, I just was never able to enjoy it. It was just get on to the next stop, get to the next commitment. What oh, what'd you promise to do tomorrow type thing? And before you know it, the days went by, and the weeks went by, and the months went, and the years went by, and I was really never able to sit back and enjoy it. I think what you're saying about Madison Square Garden, I call it a dump a minute ago, and it is a dump. In fairness, it stinks in there. It's terrible. <laughs> the but area is, around it, yeah. not great. But there is something special about being in there that I wish I could take in and enjoy. And I think that over a period of time, retirement most likely, I'll look back and remember those things very fondly. And I'll tell people about the time I fought in Madison. No, they won't want to talk about it anymore. And I'll be talking to them about it. I'll be wanting yeah. them to talk about it. So I, I wish I could live in the moment just a little bit more. So when, when you say it, mixed martial arts felt like a job and, and everything like that, when you were picking up wins, some of your biggest like high-level wins, what was the immediate emotion? Did you have – uh, was it like the satisfaction of victory or did you just have relief that like, OK, I could I could breathe for a second? Yeah. Was boy. there any of that? Well, you nailed it because it's those two. Yes, there was a prideful moment and there's something very celebratory, not only internally, but externally with your family, and with your teammates uh, about the victory. But with that victory, ultimately, the real uh, satisfaction does come with the relief where you can finally exhale. Okay, it's over. You know, you put so much into it and so much work and, the, you know, the weight cut is hard work. You know, I'm 220 pounds right now. i got to be 205 pounds in two days. There's just things that go on behind the scenes that take a lot of stress and a lot of effort and a lot of energy. And when you can just wipe them off the plate, at least for a couple of months, yeah, you can kind of wipe your brow and be satisfied for a few moments. Do you remember the fight where you felt that the most, the, the relief? I had a fight with a guy named Shogun. And it was a five-round, five, scheduled for five rounds, and I thought it would be a long, drawn-out evening. And I thought I would win more rounds than he did, and that's how I was going to beat him. And I ended up getting a submission in the very first round, so we were done. Yep. I thought I was going to be out there for 25 minutes. I was out there closer to four and a half minutes. And that was just a great feeling. Yeah. Being, being done, not having to work as hard as you thought you were going to have to work. Yeah, there was something fun about that. You're approaching 50 professional fights in your entire career, which very few are able to achieve. What fight do you look back among all of the fights you've had in your career and think I've learned the most from that one? Like, Or maybe that was a turning point in my career. A big fight for me as far as getting attention and getting some opportunities and getting some exposure that I was, I was really yearning for. You know, jealousy of, of other guys, competitive spirit, however you want to look at it. But uh, I fought a guy named Nate Marquardt. And it was said to be the number one contender's fight. And he was supposed to win that fight. And then he was supposed to become the number one contender. So when I won that fight, they were kind of stuck. And they even tried to double-cross me behind the scenes, but the, the commitment was already made. And um, that was a major opportunity for me. It's funny that you say that they tried to double-cross you behind the scenes, but the commitment was already made. MMA has kind of moved away from that, it seems, in that a lot of commitments are made and we get told a lot of stuff, and then it just changes Tomorrow there's something new, and we're all just supposed to accept it. When do you think that happened? Was it the era of money fights? Because originally MMA was very much the best always fight the best, the best always fight the best, and that's what separated it from boxing, right? Now it seems there's a lot more politics than there ever have been in the MMA game. Agreed. When, when do you think that happened? Well, I'll tell you this. You want to know what surprised me about that? Okay. Let's say there's a card you're trying to sell tomorrow. So you come in and you put an extra cherry on top and go, ah, this is for the number one contendership. Just because it's just something a little extra to drive business. So people come and they part with their time. They part with their money and they have a reasonable expectation to take you at your word. The match gets resolved. It's not the outcome the promoter was looking or hoping to have. And all of a sudden, he changes his mind the next day. To me, that feels 
as though that is a bit dishonest to your consumer. The consumer, and here's where the surprise part comes. The consumer's never pushed back. I've never heard anybody say, hey, I'm pissed off. You promised, I tuned in for this reason. This is what you told me. You took my money. You took my time. You owe me. In any other business, you would owe them. If you're doing a retail business and you are exchanging words and promises for a good or a service, you you owe them. But there's never been an uprising from the fans, so it continues. And I'm, I'm not complaining as much as I'm pointing out for you. That has surprised me. It is interesting. That the people have not revolted in some way and gone, look, a deal's a deal. And especially like that the fighters almost haven't revolted in some way. I know fighters unions get that. That word gets thrown around all the time, and it doesn't seem like we're anywhere near something like that uh, coming to fruition. But do you think that would add something and and take that away from the promoters maybe? Do you think a fighters union eventually would be a smart idea? Well, I don't know. I don't know that it would be a smart idea. Uh, you know, I mean, I think uh, you have to understand. So you're talking about collective bargaining mm-hmm. as opposed to the, each individual bargaining. And that's the difference. There seems to be a misconception that bargaining gets taken out. No, everybody gets to go into the office. Everybody gets to bring in whatever representation they want, make whatever case they want for themselves, and generally will succeed on some level. The promoters generally will listen, and, and you'll meet in the middle, and everybody shakes hands and leaves happy. So uh, I don't know that you would need one voice to go in and do that for everybody, but I will offer you this. As much as I'm telling you, it has surprised me that the fans have not revolted and said, hey, wait a minute, we are buying something, and we have a, a reasonable expectation as a consumer that you deliver on your end as much as i tell you that it would stop the business the business needs to be able to blow in the wind it just does the top guy we have very short-term memories in the sport the sport used to have five and six events a year so it was a little easier to define rankings and top contenders and build fights and look forward to the top guys now with uh well over a hundred events just in north america per year it changes a lot more rapidly, and the promoter does need to have the ability to change as the opinions and the performances change, which is week to week. That's very interesting. I'm always fascinated by getting fighters' takes on stuff like that. Uh, now, moving on to Bellator on Friday night, 222, your fight with Loyota Machida. You guys, it's crazy that you haven't fought already. I feel like a lot of people have been throwing that around because you guys are kind of always mentioned in the same circles of legends and pioneers of mixed martial arts of the UFC. When you look back at Machida's career, you were present for a lot of it. You, have you ever fought on the same card as him? I fought, yes, I was. I fought uh, Yushino Kami on an undercard, and Machida won the world championship later that night. Wow, that's that's kind of crazy. Yeah. So when you look back at Machida's career, what do you feel his legacy has been for MMA? Oh, he, he's done a fantastic job. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, you know, former world champion, uh, number one contender, sitting number one contender at middleweight. Yep. Uh, now he and I are going to fight for the number one contendership at light heavyweight. So no, I think he's had a very special career that he can be very proud of. But when I do look at this fight, I think it's pretty straightforward. If he keeps the distance, I'm in a lot of trouble. And if I get my hands on him, he's getting beat up. And you're one of the few fighters to admit that, yes, if he keeps the distance, I'm in trouble. You said interesting things uh, in the lead-up to your fight with Fedor about, like, yep, if he does this, I'm in trouble. When did that take over for you? Because early on in your UFC career, there were no faults. When did you change your kind of – the way you look at fights and the way you talk about fights, upcoming fights? I will tell you this. I've never manufactured anything in my career. If I didn't mean it, I wouldn't say it. I never did anything to sell or hype. I have people say that about me, but they're actually wrong. I didn't do that. Now, it's kind of what you alluded to. I had more fights. 
you, you have more fights, all of a sudden you get exposed to some more things and you realize, no, wait just a second. I thought I was invincible in this area. I need to work on that area. I also thought uh, I needed to work on another area, but maybe that's a little stronger. So when you have more experiences and you have more fights and you see more and you analyze more, you're able to form a little bit more of a sophisticated opinion. I used to truly believe and go to bed every single night knowing I'm the baddest dude alive and nobody can, nobody can beat me. I must share with you, I had never had a fight yet. I was just sure that it was true. I went in there and had my very first fight. Whoa, this isn't what I thought this was going to be. And uh, I've had that same revelation multiple times in my career. You put 10 fights away, you know, which t- takes two or three years. You look at it differently. You have another few, you look at it differently. But I think it's very important to admit to it and address it so that you can fix your strategy. I want to have the right strategy. I got a great skill set. I got a skill set to beat Machida. I just need to acknowledge he's got one to beat me too. So he's got to play his game. I got to play mine. Then I got to guess what his game is and try to, I mean, it becomes chess at that point. Um, but for me, it's helpful. Do you think you would uh, say things like that if you were fighting someone younger who maybe – not that you're giving anything away in that, yes, Loyola Machida works very well at the distance, works well with kicks. But if you were fighting somebody younger, do you think you would still say, well, if I did do this, he'll have an advantage and if, I, and if he does this, he'll have an advantage, whatever? I don't know that it would be based on age. I mean, I think I, I would answer any question that was asked of me. Yeah. I would do my best to answer it accurately. I suppose there's some gamesmanship that goes into that, and sometimes you don't want to tell a guy what to do. Because it seems that, like there is kind of like a, a mutual respect between you and Machida. He seems like a very nice guy. I've been around him. I, I, you know, our, cross, our paths weren't supposed to cross, even here at Bellator. I thought I was going to be fighting uh, Vitor Belfort. Yeah, you said you didn't – You have you signed a bout agreement for this fight? I, I Whether I have – or I haven't. I definitely will before they let me on the scale. That much I know. Yeah. Which, so, so the the fight's going down. The but. fight's going down. Yeah. But as far as has it been, I, I don't actually know. At the commission, the way that works behind, before, behind the scenes, before you walk out and get on the scale, they go through all of your paperwork, make sure everything's signed and dated. So if that's been done, okay, great. But if that hasn't been, it will be done. I can <laughs> assure you that will be done. mindset leading yeah, that's into the right. fight. So, uh, yeah, you know, as far as Machida goes, I, I, I do think that it's, it's pretty straightforward. And it's not that I um, would have a huge hesitation with my skills to stand on my feet and fight with somebody. It's just that he is so unique. I haven't, I, I don't, I've never sparred with anybody mm-hmm. that stands like him, let alone fights like him. I, I've never fought anybody that does. So it's a one-off for me. I've got a guess. I've got a good idea of what he's going to do. I've seen what he's done to other guys from the comfort of my living room watching him. But... Uh, I have been in there with some guys before that have a unique feel. You just you got one shot to to crack the code. Do you try to spar with guys that try to emulate your opponents? Still, I see some fighters that don't agree with that, or some fighters that do. Do you try to do that? My coach controls that, and he does try to get the guys uh, to do that. I don't. I don't look into it. Um, all that much. Yeah. I have never known in my life if a guy's a southpaw or orthodox. Never. <laughs> if you ask me any fight I've ever, I've, I've no idea. He's got two hands and two legs and whatever leg stands in front, I don't give a damn. Donald Cowboy Cerrone is, yeah. is the same way. I mean, I couldn't possibly care less what, what leg he leads with, but I know some other guys that are fighting a southpaw, they'll bring in a bunch of southpaws to camp, they'll only uh, spar with southpaw. Good for them. I'm just open to change. I mean, if, if Machida decided to pull out of this fight tonight and they wanted to throw somebody else in, no problem. Mm-hmm. You're a fighter. Now, we got to put the interview on pause for a second. I mean, the interview's still going on, but the MMA talk on pause. Sure. And go back to something you said earlier. You said you went to sleep every night, knew I'm the baddest man on the planet. You just got to give me some advice on being a man because clearly 
sitting across from the table from you, you're much more of a man than me. Now, that's very interesting. I may have more muscle than you, but I must tell you, you have very high energy. You have a fantastic voice. You're a I don't, uh, I was, I was huh? nervous with the interview. Were I got really? the date wrong, the uh, whole you thing. Can, nobody knows what day it is. That wasn't on you. Nobody uh, knows. I was that's like, oh, one we're one day things. out. I, I thought about all that. Do you, it could do you be have April. Any, you nobody have knows. On, on having, I feel like the Chael piece on in persona, you walk into a room and everyone's like, oh, fuck, Chael's here. Like, well, that's very nice you, of you. you. You better be on your, on your toes. That's very nice of you. I will tell you, I have never walked in a room in my life and not looked around and asked myself, am I the most powerful man in this room? See, that's crazy. That's yeah. That's like I'll tell animal you what, instinct. Though, not every time has the answer been yes. It hasn't always been. But I do. Every single room I go into, I do ask myself, Chill. "Am I the every most single guy room, in this room I've gone into this room? I look around and say, "Am I the weakest man in this room?" <laughs> and the answer well, is generally yes. No, you're very lean. You're very fit. Come on, you uh, no, weak? that's you're the, the, fit. Pe- the people know There's what I look difference. like. It's a podcast, but they know uh, what I look like. Oh, I'm not right. lean. I'm not fit. I'm out of shape. We got a nerf war in the office. I'm telling you, no, you look good. Come on. Um... What does it take to be a man? You know, I don't really know. I, I don't think it comes down to bravado and macho-ness, though. Uh, I think, uh, are you willing to work hard? Are you willing oh, yeah. to, to get up early uh, mm-hmm. when that alarm goes off, whether early you feel like I it or not? a few times, Come yeah. on. Me too. But, Papa I mean, I, I, are you, will you follow through on your word? Then you're a man. All right. I, maybe I'm more of a man than I thought. Absolutely. Maybe I'm more of a man than I thought. I can tell by looking at thought. you. All right. So I've, I got a good read on you, right. despite those tattoos. This, oh, probably you're not a tattoo broke, guy, yeah. Probably broke your mother's heart. No, no. Did you see, think about that when you're getting tattooed? Did you I think about mother crying. I didn't because I have a brother 12 years older yeah. than me and a sister nine years older. And they'd than already me. destroyed her. My heart? brother's so tatted okay. up. My sister's tatted so up. So she was already a broken woman. Yeah, she All actually. Right. I brought my mom to uh, the, my tattoo artist, and she got one. First time I've ever heard that. Yeah. Well yeah. done. Respect. Now I got a little game. That's for a man. You. I That's a, a man right there. And all the, all my tattoos, to be fair, are referencing like my mom, my sister, yeah, no, my brother. That's kind of a man thing, you know? This guy's does a dagger on your wrist. But go ahead. Well, okay, what's the question? Um, we we got to have a game. It's okay. not even a question. Now, this is a game that I played with Dana White. I okay. played with uh, your pal, Ben Askren. Yep. And it's a fun one. It's named after Dana's favorite insult. It's called Goof or No Goof. Oh, gosh. And I'm You're just, the one that did this? The, I've seen this with Dana. Yes. So I'm just going to run That's through funny, a list way. of names. That's funny. Thank you. Yes. I've, I've seen Dana. Dana, do that. Yeah, go ahead. Goof We're going to no, run I'm through in. a list of names, and you just tell me whether or not they're a goof. I, I have a few of them. Lawyer goof. or Machida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dana goof. White. No, you tricked me. You said it too fast. Not a goof. Dana White's not a goof. No, he coined the phrase. How could he possibly be part of it? No, of course not. I don't know. Anderson Silva. Goof. I agree. Anderson Silva, let me tell you this. You were my favorite when I was younger because I hated Anderson Silva. Still do, really. Uh, you know, that hatred me. never goes away. Why would it? How do you feel about him still fighting? Goof. I will tell you this. I am attached to his career, and for many negative reasons, he's my mortal enemy. However, <laughs> I'm still attached, and when he does go out there, it is uh, there's a there's a special moment for me as well. I am in I am in there, even if it's in the smallest phase. I am in there with him. That's in interesting. Some I like that you said that you're mortal enemies. I, I hope that in twenty or thirty years, that energy is still there, and there's some kind of like movie made about like two old men that are mortal enemies, and it's you guys sure. in your eighties, nineties. I'll fight him at eighty or ninety. Tito Ortiz. Goof. I mean, I know the oh, answer to this one. For heaven's sakes. What's wrong with this guy? Is he coming want, back? I don't even want that guy to be a goof. I honest to goodness don't. I've known Tito 21 years. He says he wants to fight you again. I don't know what's wrong with him. I begged him for the fight. I pleaded with him for the fight. I thought I was going to have the fight. They just didn't want to do business with him. Can't be trusted. Bellator didn't want to do business no. with him? Well, speaking of doing business with uh, Tito Ortiz, Oscar De La Hoya? Goof. Big goof. He goofed up. He did 25,000 pay-per-views on Tito Ortiz versus Chuck Liddell. <laughs> I like you. I don't so know you how know you, your stuff. I don't know how you do that because we have something here. Well, we do Rough and Rowdy. Have you ever heard of Rough and Rowdy? Yes, I have. We do 40,000, 50,000 buys. 
how does Tito Ortiz go out there, put the Iceman against him, and then also, like, Chuck Liddell should not have been in that cage. True. true. That's a hindsight issue. That wouldn't actually affect the but, sales but going was it in. a hindsight issue? I mean, I, w- I was one of those 25,000. I, I bought it, and I had uh, no too, idea yeah. that— uh, But I knew Chuck, you know was, that Chuck, I knew was, Chuck so was done. Poorly prepared. Yeah. All right. Scott Coker. Oh, not a goof. Great guy. Scott, Scott, have you? Oh, oh yeah. I oh, like yeah, Scott. Wonderful I, I like Scott. I don't know if you'll actually ever meet a guy that, that says anything bad about Coker. To his face. I, no, I actually agree with that because I've met many people at Bellator, like yeah. p- people behind the scenes at Bellator that actually love Scott Coker. Everybody in fighting is a dirtbag. I mean, it's a hated sport. Yeah. And it starts at the top. Right? I mean, it's just that's the way it goes. Boxing started this. Came over to Emmett. You'll never meet anybody that likes Scott Coker. Do you think he should possibly take over for the UFC when Dana White is done? When Dana White is done, if that day ever came, I mean, and, and I feel like this is a morbid question because you're ultimately predicting Dana White's death. I do, <laughs> you think I, he's I, a Vince yes. McMahon type? Yes, I think that that uh, the the keys to that office leave in his cold dead hand. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. However, sure, great replacement. Okay, Ariel Hawani, not guy. a goof, not a goof. Um, Ariel doesn't like me. Really? I got in the background of a shot of his. Yeah. And he's hated me ever That's since. That's it? Yeah. Well, I was like in the background, like. On it, purpose? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. It they was, call it that was a Connor, It was Connor McGregor's court date. Okay. And I had a big free Connor sign <laughs> and an Irish flag. <laughs> and I, I got in the background and then the camera guy <laughs> moved. Okay. I, I ran and I just did this shuffle back and forth. Sure. It looked like some kind of bonanza. That's brilliant. He didn't respect that? Oh, he hated That's it. That's something he would have done in his younger day. He hated it. He hated it. I feel bad, but he hated it. Uh, Rampage Jackson. Not a goof. Not a goof? Very nice. I expected you to say goof. You know what? I would have said goof a number of years ago. Very honorable man. Wow. What changed? He and I had a bet before our fight. I remember this. And he made it very offhanded. And he said, I'll give you $10,000 for every time you take me down. Now, when I say it was a bet, I I didn't have to risk anything. Yep. I just had to say, okay. And I didn't hold him to it. We were doing press. We were doing media. He made a statement. I won that fight. He got a hold. That's hard. When you lose a fight, then you got to go talk to the guy that just beat you. He contacted me and said, I need your address. To send out the money. Unreal. That's an honorable man. Yeah. All right. I Definitely not a goof after that. No. Definitely not a goof. Well, I didn't take the – Well, but uh, so he did a goofy move. I didn't take the money because I didn't think we had a real deal. I said, oh, that's no, nice. No, very honorable of you, Rampage. Full credit, but I will not I was, was going to ask if you took the money. I figured you just did, though. So he went and took <laughs> like 10% of it, which was that, uh, 10 – whatever that is. Nobody – again, nobody nobody knows what date it is. And fin- didn't 10, you take him down four times? Fin- three. Three. Finding out 10% of 30,000, it's like one of these impossible numbers. But whatever that number was, he took to the strip club and gave it to the girls instead. Right. And then put it on Instagram. Hey, support he sex said, workers. here's what I did with Chael's money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got Vince McMahon. I've never met Vince, but uh, from afar, I have studied Vince many times, and he does not appear to be a goof. I think I think he used to not be a goof. I think he's reaching goof territory, maybe Mad King territory, where he's kind of going crazy nowadays. I know you're a big wrestling fan, though, and I wanted to ask as well, uh, while we're on the subject, do you cite anyone for inspiration as far as your trash talk went in the wrestling world? Oh, you know, I had some... Um, I thought that uh, Stone Cold, of course, yep. was, was the best, uh, and I thought the only person you could argue with him was The Rock. Uh, I didn't Which do a whole lot of. that they were around in the I, same era. And totally different, yeah. too. Totally different guys. I never emulated myself after The Rock, though I did admire him. Uh, but, but I did a little bit after Stone Cold. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little like I, – I feel like I've heard a little Jim Cornette in you at times. Like I little, love Jim Cornette. A little older school. I've never missed a Jim Cornette podcast. Is that true? Not one. He, does two, he does two a week. So oh it's, it's a good-sized commitment for God me. bless you. Never missed. Dylan Dennis, who's also on this card. Great guy. Not a goof. But you, I but agree with that. Most, I've had him in studio. Because you met him. Yep. Okay. Now, if you don't meet him, goof. Yeah. If you meet him, definitely not there's, a goof. There's Smart a method guy. to the madness. That's yeah. exactly right. Absolutely. He's playing the game. Uh, his teammate, Conor McGregor. Yep. 
Not a goof. Not a goof? No. Now, I'm the biggest Connor guy there is. Connor recently has rubbed me the wrong way with a lot of things. And I'm telling you, I'm the biggest nut sure. hugger in the world. Yeah. No, a couple couple goofy moments. A couple I, goofy I moments recently for yeah. sure. No, he could go down goof path very very quickly if yeah. he is not careful. Yeah. But again, I was answering that uh, question similar to the way we answered the Dylan Dennis question of having information and knowing him behind yes. the scenes. And he was a real gentleman. He got me a ticket to UFC 229. Cool move. And sat me next to his bodyguard because I was getting some death threats from the Habib fans. That's a cool which move. Which was a very cool move. So he's yeah. not a goof in my book, of course. And Habib himself. Definitely not a goof. Even no. with the jump in the cage stuff? No, solid move. Jumped out of the cage. Uh, that, was a, that was a bad moment. Yep. I did think, goof however, move. when he went to yeah, – goof move. When he went to the press conference about eight minutes later and somebody asked him about it and he responded by saying, I don't know why you're still talking about this. <laughs> this that's, that's one of my funny. favorite press conferences there. We were literally just talking about it the other day in the office. I don't know he why you're still down. talking about says, this. I don't know why people talk about this. Connor threw Dolly at bus. He could have killed the guy. Which I don't know how – like if he threw it at the engine and the bus exploded, sure. may, like maybe he could sure. have killed somebody. But he, well, he immediately threw Well, if the dolly went him. through the bus. And yeah, I mean, yes, Connor pulled – that was a knucklehead uh, moment for both of them. But uh, I thought that was so funny when Khabib said, why are you still talking about – Khabib, it's been eight minutes. Yeah. You got, you're going to be on ice for at least a year. You're going to have a commission. We're not going to stop talking about this. We still haven't so – we're talking about it right now. Eight minutes after. Yeah. Why are you still talking about this? <laughs> what else are we going to talk about, Khabib? <laughs> That was the was, moment of yeah. the night. Yeah, it was unbelievable. That that's it. Goof or no? No, more. Come on, this is fun. Make can I, can I think of some names? Can game. I think of some names? Um, Rory McDonald. Not a goof. Now, what did? How did you feel about his words after his last fight, where he's like, "I don't really have the motivation to fight anymore." And then a quick turnaround. He's fighting at MSG. I thought it was a very uh, real moment. I thought we caught a guy. Yeah, being vulnerable, which you are many times after a fight. You are exhausted. You are tired. You are topless. And I thought he just answered a very honest question, and, and it was having an interflective moment. You have to understand whenever you have adrenaline mixed in there, a guy is not himself. Uh, at that point in his life, he was being very kind. He was being very humble and calm. Uh, but you'll also see guys go the other way with it, where they, they break bad, and all of a sudden they're cursing, and they want to yeah. fight this guy, and they're calling out Dana, and they're pointing fingers at Coker. And they, right, come on, don't do that, you knucklehead. But they deserve to be forgiven as well. When you have that adrenaline, you have that big rush, and you took a couple of shots to the head, come on, full pass. John Jones. Oh, goof. Biggest goof. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you said that. He plays the sympathy card uh, every time he comes scumbag. back. This, this, the next thing, he is a scumbag. He's he my least scumbag. favorite fighter of yeah. all time. Yeah, and talented, son of a bitch, scumbag. Would you consider him the greatest of all time? No, I would consider George St. Pierre, uh, you know, the greatest of all time. No, and you know what? He's going to have problems with his legacy down the road if he does not change weight classes. Yeah. Oh, if he doesn't change weight well, classes. Well, you've got these guys now that are doing the champ champ thing. Now you've yeah. got talking about a champ 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 thing. I mean, it, it's go, it, that's a very real thing. I, the pound for pound greatest fighter of all oh, time interesting. is supposed to mean who could go any weight class yeah. and win. That's what it's supposed to mean. It usually comes down to who is the most dynamic fighter, of which John is fantastically yes. dynamic. He's right up there with Israel Adesanya. I don't know that John is even the best of this time, though he's fantastic. I think that it probably is Adesanya, and I think we're going to figure that out sooner or later. I think yep. those guys are going to get in there with each other. Let's see how that all goes. At but, um, 205? I think probably 205, yeah. I think you don't think Adesanya would be way too tiny? He, he feels skinny for middleweight. And he, he, he is more likely to go to 170 than he is to 205, but he has an ego, and he wants John Jones, and I think uh, yeah. he'll find a way, and I think he'll get there. That would be... A hell yeah, of a I don't fight think that's tomorrow. It would be a very special fight. Yeah, he's a special guy, man. He is. Yeah, have you, you met that, him? No, I haven't. All right, he's also a guy behind the scenes who you would very much be endeared to. Did you see what he said the other day on no. Twitter about his debut? No, but I already like it. What do you say? I feel bad. Come there's on, there's a nice say. lady Come in the room. He said that there was pre cum squeaking oh, out of his pee pee after his debut. 
the fuck is he? Why, why do you have to say that? <laughs> Your delivery of the F word right there was fantastic. Eddie Murphy would be proud of you. That I mean, was, that might have been the greatest F word I've ever heard. Wow, that's that's what the, high honor that was from fantastic. a guy that I know has said many F words. No, as never publicly. <laughs> Never, I've actually never you've cur- never publicly cursed. I've been called by Sports Illustrated and ESPN the greatest SHI in all of sports. I've never cursed perf- uh, publicly. Wow. No. See, I have. I to, try to I, curse I, I privately, use them as a but I will admit sure. it has happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's good, that, though, that's it, you. though. I I can't think of who else could we goof or no goof here. No, John Jones get yeah, goof goof status. And we'll see how long he holds that belt. You know, he's not fighting near as good as he used to. That's because of the Peds when the Peds are gone. However. Yeah. He's still he's still fantastic. I, I can pick, fight I can was, pick on him all really he want, all I want. He has not lost a round in a meaningful period of time. Yeah, but the fights are closer. That's also true. Yeah, absolutely. So, Chael, thank you so much. Make sure you tune in on DAZN, Bellator two twenty two at Madison Square Garden. I will be in Friday attendance or something. Yeah, no, one no knows. this Friday. We this, haven't told the date. No th- one knows this Friday. Is it, it this Friday? It, it'll be this Friday for sure. You're fighting Machida. Oh, right. It's going to be a big thing. I might be in in your corner. We'll see. Yeah, no one knows. No one knows. We'll see. All right, thank you so much to Chael for joining the show. It meant the world that he did it. It meant the world that I was able to do it. And it meant the world that he said I dropped the greatest F-bomb of all time. I will take that and wear it with pride. Now, let's get into my chat with Alimale McFarlane. I think after this, a lot of you guys are going to have a new favorite fighter. And hopefully, after this, I'll be forced to go to Hawaii to cover her next fight. Okay, welcome back to the show. And aloha. Joining me now is the Bellator Women's Flyweight Champion, Alimale McFarlane, a.k.a. the Pineapple Princess. Alimale, how are you? My cutty, my cutty. Aoi. See, the, already throwing <laughs> me off, already rattling me. What does that mean? I just said, good, good, how are you? And yourself. And how would I respond to that? You can say... If, I, if, I'm, if I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, uh, just say my cutty. My cutty. Perfect. Oh, you're native already. Oh, man. So we're <laughs> going to get to Hawaii questions at the end of this interview. But Alimale, as I mentioned, is the Bellator champion uh, at 125 pounds in the women's division. And I think we have a lot of listeners of this podcast that are fans of yours. But for those that aren't, let's take it back to the beginning. What got you into fighting? I know this story, and it's a very fascinating story. So how did you get into fighting? So it, it kind of happened uh, on accident, actually. I was just wrapping up my bachelor's degree at San Diego State. I actually was an athlete my entire life, but did not play any sports in college. I didn't want to. I actually had some wrestling offers to to wrestle in college, you know, from Menlo and out in the Midwest, but I said no. And as in a result, high school, you were a wrestler. Yeah, I was. A, I was wrestling in high school, and as a result, I ended up packing on a lot of weight. Um, you know, San Diego State's notorious party school, and yep. that's exactly what I did. So. Yeah, I partied. I got up to about 175. How are the parties? Were the parties sick? Yeah, they were great. Awesome. Yeah. I mainly hung out with the athletes, surprisingly. But um, yeah, I ended up putting on a lot of weight. As soon as I finished my bachelor's degree, I had a summer off before I went straight into a graduate program. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to use this time off to try to get back into shape. So I ended up randomly joining this MMA gym on my way to work because uh, I used to wait tables to help put me through college. And on my way to work, I was like, I'm just going to stop into this place. So it was... What gave you the urge to go like MMA? Were you... Did you ever watch MMA or... You know, I... I was it just the wrestling component? Um, I think it was because actually I was seeing girls from Hawaii find success in MMA, like Raquel Pa'aluhi, Kylan Karan, and we had 
all wrestled together. Even though we were from different schools, we, you know, the wrestling community is small. So we had all known each other back in high school and middle school. So I was seeing these girls fight. And I'm like, you know, I feel like I could probably do it, you know, just, just try it out. I think it would be fun. So I joined an MMA gym, which was the gym of Liz Carmouche. She was actually the one that signed me up. And I actually joined a CrossFit gym. And so I told myself, okay, just decide which one you want to do by the end of the summer, which Thank one you want God, to stick with. Thank God, by the with. way, you decided <laughs> MMA. Not because you're the champ now, and it obviously it seems like you were put on this earth to be a fighter, mm-hmm. but because if you were a CrossFit gym member, you just wouldn't shut up about it. Yeah, yeah. They never shut up about it. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. if somebody does CrossFit. CrossFit, uh, vegans, like all of those <laughs> kind of people, they'll tell you right away. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm pretty happy with my decision yep. to stay with the MMA gym, and uh, here I am now. So you have this fight that goes super viral. Mm -hmm. It's your pro debut. It's known as the soccer mom fight. We won't spend too much time on it because I've seen you talk about it all over. But if you haven't seen it, you should watch it because it's unbelievable. It's an absolutely like – it's just a surreal video Mm -hmm. that it happened. You have the soccer mom fight. You immediately go to Bellator. And you were in talks with Bellator before that. But as a person that's 10-0 and 0 right now, mm-hmm. nine of your fights have been in Bellator. What was that jump like? Was it like jarring at first that your second pro fight is in the second biggest MMA promotion in the world? Well, yeah. And especially because at that point, I still wasn't convinced that I wanted to fight. So Even I would, when you signed with Bellator, you don't know. Dude, even like almost it was it took me to win the belt basically that i was like oh okay i can do this your fallback plan was was teaching i've heard you say yes, right yes because i did in fact i finished my master's degree oh, wow, good while for you. yeah so during the course of my amateur career i was in graduate school that's and that's crazy yeah and and you showing up to class with like bruises on your face and all that kind of stuff or dude, no dude yes and i also my professors were all amazing they i would tell them like hey so i have a fight this weekend is it okay if i push the the deadline you know so they were they were all very understanding they all thought it was the coolest thing ever so shout out to all my uh professors from sdsu but uh yeah it was it was really interesting timing because i had actually finished my graduate program one semester early so i basically finished it in december and i fought in january that was my pro debut yep and soccer mom that was a soccer mom fight i fought in january and then it didn't actually go viral until like April or May or something. And at that by that point we were already in talks with Bellator. Yeah. So people thought that I got signed to Bellator because it went viral and I was like, no, we were actually it, talking about it. It definitely to them. helped, but Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it, it definitely put me out into like the viral fame and like yeah. community out there. So um, that was like a major moment for, for mixed martial arts. Like I remember where I was when I watched the soccer mom fight, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. So when we did uh, get the call from Bellator, then it was kind of unheard of because it's like, all right, I, I do not only do I only have one pro fight, but it was also the soccer mom fight. So uh, I'm sure you have a thousand doubters. Like yes. everyone that saw the signing was probably like, oh my God, yeah. why did they sign? And it was unsanctioned. Yeah. yeah. So yes, there was definitely a lot of critics, a lot of trolls, a lot of um, shit talkers. And, but like the biggest one was my own self doubt. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, do I even belong here? Did it put a chip on your shoulder though? Like just self-doubt. No, it was for sure self-doubt. And I, I always think it's because it wasn't my intention to become a fighter. It kind of just happened. We, we always joke that I'm the accidental champ. Yeah. I just, I just like wandered into an MMA and I was like, yeah. It is kind of, it's, it's yeah. a crazy story. Yeah. So I think it's like that self-doubt, like, do I even want to do this? And so again, it wasn't until like 
my fifth fight or something with Bellator that I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do this. And that's so interesting because you're undefeated still to this day. Was there mm-hmm. ever a moment in that, in the buildup to say your fifth fight where you were, was there a moment where you're like, okay, this isn't for me? Every time I stepped in that cage and the doorbell or the cage door would shut, I'm like, how did I get here? What am I even doing here? Do you have anxiety about fighting? I do. I do. And, you know, obviously the more you do it, the easier it yeah. comes. And so, yeah, every every fight that I do, I'm still – I'm getting better. Yeah. Um, of course, I still get the nerve. Because I couldn't imagine. Like, yeah. It, anytime I have to do anything, I get anxiety. So let alone closing <laughs> the cage door and someone's trying to rip my head off. Like that seems like the scariest thing in the world. Yes, it is. But I – now this is my life. This is my identity. This is what I love to do. And you're the champ. I'm the champ. And that's got to that's yeah. got to boost the ego. Knowing you're the champ. Knowing you're and the baddest woman in your weight class. Not just the ego. Um, and I don't have a problem calling it ego too, because again, I've been battling with like my own self doubt and yeah. self critic this entire time. So yeah, to finally be able to say like, no, I'm a badass bitch. It, yeah. It took me it, a long it's time. Like, it's like validating almost. Exactly. When did you get? Involved with 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu and Eddie Bravo. So I've been at the same gym my entire career, the same gym yep. that I stepped And same coaches. Same well, right? coaches, yep. yeah. And so we were originally known as San Diego Combat Academy. We still kind of are, but um, but then Boogie came along. And actually Boogie, so Richie Boogie Man Martinez, he is my Jiu-Jitsu instructor, black belt under Eddie Bravo. And he actually came to just start training MMA with us back like in 2015 or no 2014 or something like that he was uh training with our mma team because he actually fought one of our other teammates james was like oh like you're really good where do you train at can i come train with you guys and while he was training mma you know he's he got offered to teach a 6 a.m jujitsu class like twice a week which he's like okay cool and our jujitsu program wasn't very big and I, I wasn't even doing the jiu-jitsu consistently. I was mainly just doing the MMA classes. And so Boogie started teaching at 6 a.m. And then slowly his classes started building and building until pretty soon it was like, dude, you got you. we should just make this a 10th planet school. Yeah. And so then we became 10th planet San Diego and jiu-jitsu is our shit. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. I thought you on your own went off to 10th planet and said, let me improve the jujitsu game. Jujitsu kind of came to you guys. Yes. Yes. And you're a brown belt now. Yes. So in honor of Eddie Bravo, uh, do you have a favorite conspiracy theory? Oh my gosh. I did not even want to go down the rabbit hole. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but are you a conspiracy theory person? I am so not. Okay. But I will, not really. Yeah. I will tell you this. Like, so I did a jujitsu camp with him out in Singapore and yeah, we'd go out afterwards and, and talk story and everything. Is that like what he wants to talk about when you go out after Well, training? no, one of the people in the group was like asking about it. So then, the, you know, we go down that rabbit hole. I'm just like shaking my head. What are we doing? But he told me it's called, is it Royal Blood Conspiracy Theory? I think it's called Royal Blood Conspiracy Theory. Okay. I, I don't even know if I should talk about this on here. Well, let's do it. Let's okay. Do it. Okay. So uh, it's a conspiracy that, what's the head guy, rabbis? Yep. Um, they are kidnapping children. That's why the most like missing children, the highest number is in Washington, D.C. Because it's yeah. all of these like powerful Jews, right? Yeah. They are kidnapping children and they are sucking the blood out of them. So they terrify the children and then they poke like holes. In, yeah. And they poke holes in them because the kid's adrenaline is growing. And so and they believe that this gives them never ending life. Banana land. Yeah. Um, 
Changing topics, your tattoos. Mm. I like your tattoos a lot. Are they Polynesian tribal tattoos, I assume? Yes, they're Polynesian. So you have a bunch of them. You have an elbow mm-hmm. one. You have one on your side. Uh, I'm fascinated by, like, they always have meanings. I know American mm-hmm. tribal tattoos are like, you listen to Headstrong, you listen to Metal, you, you know, and you fight in an MMA cage. Yes. Polynesian tattoos have much more meaning and tradition behind them. So, like, can you uh, share, like, what yours mean? Or Absolutely. Yeah, all of my tattoos are very deliberate. There's um, a lot of a lot of meaning in all of them. So the first one I actually got was my side piece. And that one has... Um, How old were you when you got it? Uh, that was actually right when I signed with Bellator. Okay. So, yeah, like, what, like four years ago. Like the first ago. thing you got yourself with your new contract? Kind of, something like that. <laughs> and um, so I got the side piece. And mind you, my nobody in my family has tattoos. I am oh, the really? old, I'm the baby of six kids. No one has tattoos. Were your parents disappointed? This was a big step. Um, they weren't disappointed, but when I showed it to them, they're like, that's really beautiful. Okay, oh, no nice. more, no more. And then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. that's not going to happen. Uh, so it, the first was a side piece, and it, it was a combination of uh, different Polynesian cultures. It has my family in there. It has our amokua, which is like our our family guardian, which is an owl. Um, yeah, it has a lot of a lot of meetings. Uh, and then the second tattoo I got was actually it comes, it's behind my ear. It goes down my neck and it ends up on my shoulder and that is actually it has Tahitian and Marquesan designs which is still part of Polynesia and I got that because my brother uh, was a voyager on the Hokulea to the Marquesan Islands and um, there's symbols in there that represent my siblings and then my last my most recent tattoo is actually probably one of my favorites and that is on my forearm I saw your post about this. Yes, I liked it a lot. It yeah. was really cool. I actually got it in New Zealand and I wanted to get it for my dad because I think he's the most amazing man in the world. And I had it, I had, and this was the first tattoo that I got by a woman. Oh, nice. And so she was just such posy vibes about her, just incredible, incredible uh, woman. And, and I had her connect it to my ring finger because I'm like, Whatever man I end up marrying needs to be as great as my dad. Oh, that's and so, nice. Yeah, that's this, sweet. this was like a tattoo for my dad. And then it goes throughout your arm, and you said the next fight you threw more elbows than you've ever thrown in your life. Yes. Which is very cool, like, yeah. you know, going back to, like, the, the hidden meanings of tattoos and, like, the, the spirit behind them. Yeah, because, really cool. because when I initially was getting it done, when I looked up this artist in New Zealand, she had a little bit more like daintier feminine looking tattoos on her page. So that's kind of what I thought I was going to get. And so when she was done with the outline, I was like, oh, that's that's a lot of ink. That's really oh, big. It was, it was like a, a freehand. Like you didn't really you kind of just put your arm and you were like, oh. oh, all of them are all of them are freehands. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I believe and we do believe that um, no, no stencil, no stencil. Very and interesting. And. Because we believe that, you know, they, the artist feeds off of your vibes, you know, and they're the ones that create this. Like, well, you both create this story together. Yeah. But I totally trust all of my artists to just like, dude, do what you did. I just want it to have, uh, you know, my siblings in it. Go. I want this to be about my dad. And and so throughout the tattoo, she's actually asking me, okay, so like, what does he do? And this is, she's still, she's going and, and, but adding as I talked to her about my dad. So it was really special. And, um, but I was like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of ink. Like, and it's a big one. Yeah, it's a big one. And she was like, no, you're going to need it in the cage. It's going to protect you in the cage. I'm like, okay. She called it a shield, right? That's your yes, shield. It yeah. was, it was, yeah, my armor shield. And lo and behold, the next couple of fights, 
um, I was like throwing elbows. I never throw elbows. You threw that one elbow that finished a fight. I did. Dr. Stoppage. And that was with my tatted yeah. side. And like everybody thought that, oh, Elima's elbow must be all messed up. I'm like, dude, it didn't even bruise. Like Crazy. Did, yeah. Let's talk about winning the title. Mm-hmm. So you said that was the moment where you really like realized this is for me. Mm-hmm. Everything got validated in that moment. When you won it, was it more relief or than anything? Yes. I mean – I talk to fighters about this all the time and I find the, the balance between uh, the emotions of relief and like satisfaction interesting after wins. Oh, I see. Yeah, no, it was definitely relief. And I think because, yeah, there was so much buildup for this fight. You know, it, there was so much on the line for this belt. Uh, not only would I be making history with Bellator as the for, the inaugural women's yep. flight world champion, but I felt like I was actually making history within the entire MMA world because we started the women's flyweight division before the UFC did. Yep. And the UFC was going to crown their champion like a month later or so. So I felt like there was a lot on the line, you know. And also for Hawaii. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I They didn't have a native Hawaiian female fighter world champion yet. They had Angela Lee, but, you know, she's not native Hawaiian. Yep. So I just, I felt like I was kind of um, fighting for all the Canucks and, and everybody back home. And then I really really wanted to do this for my team for my gym because i was built up from the ground with yeah, them grown yes i was i'm their homegrown fighter they've never had a world champion at their gym so like those three for me i was like all right there's everything's at stake here so did you feel more pressure to win that fight or do you feel more pressure now as as the champion because we just saw rose nama Yunus lost her title in the ufc mm-hmm. and her immediate reaction afterwards was she's like oh my god this was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders mm-hmm. the pressure of being a champion seemed to you know wear and tear on her mm-hmm. do you feel that now now i don't because it's good yeah it is like and i've already accomplished a everything that I set out to accomplish and like starting with my first fight in Bellator my goal for that fight I didn't care if I if I won or or lost I what my goal was to prove to everybody that I could fight that the soccer mom fight wasn't going to define me as a fighter that I wasn't a chump I did that and then the next fight came and the next week and so I was like okay why don't I finish this my first contract with Bellator my next goal is to get re-signed with them I accomplished that goal. And then the more I, I fought, the more I was like, okay, next fight, be a contender. Be, get on the main, you know. So it's just, I've been accomplishing every goal as I've set them. And after I won the belt, I was like, all right, my next goal, I need to defend it. Because like everybody says, you're not a real champion until you defend it. Yep. So now that I've done that, then my next goal is, okay, now I want to I wanna fight in Hawaii. I want to defend it at home. And that was what I was just about to get to. Yeah. That fight in Hawaii was one of the most legendary, magical crowd experiences in the whole aura. I wasn't there. I wish I was. But there are so many people that were there. John Cavanaugh was in here the other day, and he actually mentioned um, that fight being the craziest crowd atmosphere he had ever seen, like next to he was there? Connor in Ireland. I think he was, right? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Um, that must have been outrageous for you is that the best night of your life yes it really was because there was even uh there was a videographer with you before the fight casey london yes with yes your, with your team uh-huh and the the video is like it made like me emotional not even knowing you personally not even uh-huh. knowing your team but and just, it's crazy because that video is like doesn't even have that many views and i'm like people need to see know. It. whether you're an mma fan whether you're an we'll elima re- fan we'll post it it, it's such a great video. It's just a beautiful piece, and it's so uh, it's so like moving in that 
you can feel how important this is just by the pre-flight preparations. Exactly. So that night, the best night of your life, you get the mm-hmm. finish, and it's against Valerie Letourneau, Letourneau. who was such mm-hmm. a game opponent. She had fought uh, Joanna Young, Jacek, and she took her five rounds, and she's just tough as nails. Um, after that fight, like, what do you what do you feel is left to accomplish? Do you want to like go down with the all time greats? Well, like, you've done pretty much everything there is to do, and you're only ten and zero. Yeah, it's crazy. So that's why I, I almost feel like I don't feel pressure when I do go into fights because I'm like, well, I already kind of. I did a lot of stuff that a lot of people haven't done yeah. <laughs> like at yeah. age 29, you know. So um, it's nice that the pressure is taken off for me in that sense. But I think now I'm actually looking more towards the future of what I'm going to – how is, am I going to build a future for my future family? Um, how am I going to make the most amount of money taking the least – damage possible like least Smart. damage possible yeah and just so i can i can have a career after fighting how am i going to do that oh they want me to commentate the mass square garden card of course i will because that is an a very very amazing career to have after fighting did you express interest in doing that or did bellator come to you totally on their own um they came to me on their own but i've done so much um you know pr for media, them. yeah that, yeah yep. media for them that like um, this kind of stuff yeah so yeah, but I, I so I'm just super. I, I'm just at this point in my career, I still love to fight. Of course, like even being here in in during fight week and seeing all the fighters, I'm low key kind of jealous because I'm like, oh gosh, like I love fight week. Yeah. I, I love the fights. Especially so. the garden is you know a legendary. Yeah. and all that. Do you ever envision yourself hopping weight classes? We see the new trend in MMA is double champs and all, everything yeah. like that. Do you Actually, see that in your future? Yes, um, I would love to try to go for a double champ it's and so it would definitely be at bantamweight yep no way in hell i'm gonna make 115 <laughs> yeah so i actually that has been on my mind or even maybe maybe a cross promotional thing we've been doing a lot of cross yeah. uh, cross there's promotions. a fight this week uh, exactly. on friday tomorrow yeah with darian caldwell versus uh horiguchi from ryzen yep and so yeah i think that those are definitely um th- those are Definitely possibilities in the future. Would I say they're necessarily like goals that I'm focusing on right now? No. Yeah. But, but like you said, if you're it looking comes for, about, you know, what's best for your future family if an opportunity arises, I assume you would take it if it were, you know, yeah. in that area. So we talked about you doing commentary tomorrow night. Um, it will be tonight if you're listening to this. What fight are you looking forward to the most? Because the card is stacked. Oh, top my gosh. To bottom. I'm like as a fan just very excited for Bellator 222. Yes, me too. Um, okay. Honestly, I'm probably most excited. There's there's a lot of fight, fights under the radar. Yep. So I'm just going to say. Even that Caldwell Horiguchi fight like is kind of flying under the radar for a bunch of people. I'm yeah. Like, Don't sleep on this. Yeah. And um, obviously, I'm very interested in all the girl fights. Yep. Uh, it doesn't matter what their record is. It doesn't matter if I, I just love watching girl fights. It doesn't even matter if it's not my division. So there's three girl fights on the prelims. Um, Heather Hardy, I'm a really huge fan of her. I can't wait to see her back in there. Uh, Valley Loretta versus uh, Larkin Dash. Yeah. Larkin Dash. Uh, uh, Dash, I believe her Daish. name is. Oh, I'm sorry. I broke the news for that fight. Oh, nice. Proud of that one. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm excited for that one. You know, Valerie's kind of like the next the next yeah. up and coming. Muay Thai phenom. Um, yeah. Well, Taekwondo, right? Is Valerie? it Taekwondo? Yeah, she's yeah, Taekwondo. Yes. I'll um, edit that out. Make it, make it sound <laughs> like I knew that. You know, Taekwondo phenom. Yeah, so Bellator's putting a lot of stock into her, so I'm excited to see how yep. she's doing. Um, and then there's a strawweight bout uh, with another cross-promotional. It's Rena Kubota from Ryzen, who's fighting. Did you see her at Lindsay the weigh-ins today? 
I did not. She had maybe the swaggiest outfit I've ever seen. Oh man! Pull up a okay, picture. please, because I was outfit, she doing stepped media. on the scale, and I was like, I have never in my life seen any. I didn't even know what I was looking at. It's to be she, honest with Japanese, you, Japanese. That's why. Huh? What? Yeah. I don't even understand this. You're I know. Not supposed I, to. I didn't know what I was looking at. You're not supposed to understand their Japanese oh, outfits. Oh, clearly, it's go. way too fashionable for me. Now, before we get into uh, the Hawaii questions that mm-hmm. I had, or Hawaii. Is that how you say it? Perfect, yeah. You're wow, native. Wow, I'm getting better at it. Oh, well, I, I, it's been my dream to go there for so many years. Um, before we get to that, though, we had the whole office compile them. You just trained with Canelo Alvarez. Oh, yes. In April. Mm-hmm. How was that? How did that come about? Is, oh. it, is it through a DAZN thing? or? Yeah, so it was actually my birthday. It was my birthday the next day, so it was like my birthday week. But um, I had... So we were filming that whole weekend, and they're like, hey, on Monday, we're going to take you at three o'clock to go do something. I'm like, okay, what? They're like, it's a surprise. I'm like, okay. So I'm thinking that they're just going to literally take me out for birthday ice cream or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so we go and I'm like, well, what should I wear? You know, whatever. They're like, Oh, what you have on right now is fine. I had just finished working out. And so, Oh, they sandbagged you. You just finished working out. Totally sandbagged me. Damn. So then, they take me to this unmarked building in this like unknown location. And they're like, "Go inside." I'm like, oh, are, you, are you guys going to murder me right now? Like, <laughs> yeah, you're getting whacked. Like, yeah, you had a good fuck? fellas. There's, yeah. <laughs> and there's like newspaper on the windows, so you can't. It's all blacked out. I'm like, dude, this is really sketchy, actually. Um, but I walk in, and I'm still at this point. I'm very confused. So it's a it's of a gym. Course, yeah, yeah, it's a gym. There's pictures of Canelo everywhere, but I'm still very confused. And I'm like, oh, is this a DAZN gym? Like, what's going oh, on? Yeah. And then they start introducing me to everybody, and then that's when I like start putting everything together. Like, oh, this is his gym. Okay, but he wasn't there yet. And then they sit me down. And they start wrapping my hands, and I'm like, what am I? What are we doing? And they're like, oh, you're gonna train. I'm like, what the fuck? And actually, <laughs> actually, I didn't tell them this, but my coach had actually uh, given me that day off from mitt work because my shoulder was hurt. And so when they started oh, wrapping damn. me up, I was like, oh, oh no, oh, this is gonna be bad. And so, but of course, I'm not gonna say anything. It's like Canelo's trainer. Yeah. Um. So, and there was a slight language barrier. So actually, the editing made it look like I was doing really well, but in reality, I was I was <laughs> yeah. doing really, really poorly, because uh, I couldn't understand like the combos he was doing. And then and then Canelo comes, and I'm just. Total like, holy shit! Yeah, it's Canelo Alvarez. Yeah, so he's watching, and I'm just like, oh, I'm looking terrible right now. Uh, but the they were really cool. About your shoulder? Did you yeah. want to tell him the whole time? Like my shoulder's hurt. I swear I'm better. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah. And so I kept saying like, I'm not a boxer. I'm a I'm a grappler. I'm a jiu-jitsu <laughs> girl. And then so afterwards, it was cool. Like we talked story very briefly because of the language barrier. Yeah. You know, but um, but yeah, it was really cool. Everybody was awesome. And just seeing him like prepare for his training session, I got to pick his brain a little bit about his camp. Uh, there was one point where I was like, oh, how much weight do you have? And he was like, 15. I was like, 15? He's like, 50. I was like, wait, like 15, <laughs> one five? And he, then he was like, 50. And there, so, but he meant like, kins- so I was like, you oh, could have said oh, kinsey. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I understand the, the numbers. So then I was like, okay, I'm not going to ask him any more questions. Yeah. All right. Speaking of questions, we're going to do a lightning round of Hawaii questions. Okay. Hawaii. Because mm-hmm. I have so many of them. I basically just went up to everyone in the office. I was like, you ever meet anyone from Hawaii? And they were like, no. And I was like, don't you have so many <laughs> questions? So first one, how awesome is Hawaii? Uh, Hawaii is super awesome if you're a visitor. 
What does that mean? Uh, it means that it is becoming very overpopulated and the oh, cost no. of living is through the roof right now. And unfortunately, a lot of locals can't even afford to live there. So, oh, shit. What a downer. Yeah. What so a downer. Make sure you guys go home if you visit Hawaii. What's your favorite island? Oahu. That's where I'm from. That's that where was, you're from. Yeah. Uh, what's the best Hawaiian food? Like restaurant? No, like a like oh, a, just like in a general me- a meal or something. Oh, I always get lomi salmon, poi, and poke. First stop when which, I get off the airplane, which is lomi salmon is like a, a salmon dish. Obviously, yep. it's like cubed and it has uh, green onions, onions, and tom- tomatoes in there. Nice. Uh, it's a cold dish, and then poke. Obviously, you guys have poke, right? But Hawaiian poke is much different. It, it's cubed raw fish. Okay. Hawaiian poke it. is... I'm such a plain guy. I'm one of those like <laughs> chicken fingers and french fries. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't really know. Yeah, but Hawaiian poke is completely different from the poke up here in the mainland. So you guys need to try real Hawaiian poke. And then... Adding it to the list. Yeah. And then poi is a the, the root of the taro that's grounded, uh, mashed up into a paste. And that's like a main staple for native hawaiians so what does it taste like um it's actually super bland it's it's an acquired taste like we were raised off of it oh is yeah it the kind of thing where if like someone not from there goes and they they'll think be it's like weird. what yeah but we use it to balance they out got the something like foods. that in uh, australia too right <laughs> yeah danny's like nodding his head we've made them we made them eat it too <laughs> uh what's the best wine drink uh you guys try stuff, right? yeah um 1944 mai tai is that at- an alcoholic drink yeah. Okay. Oh, is that what you were asking for? I, I was just asking for anything, really. I'm, I don't really drink often, but when I do, I go just go to the bartender. I'm like, make me the girliest thing possible. Okay. I can't do alcohol. Alcohol is just gross. Yeah, you know and aren't I mean? you like 20? I mean, are you an officer? <laughs> <laughs> I just heard that you can't drink alcohol. So. I mean, that's true, but, uh, okay. you know. Yeah, yeah. So get Listen. the 1944 Mai Tai, because that's when it, the drink was created. And uh, pretty much most bars is it, will is have it, it. It will fuck you up. So, right. yeah, just try it. Right. I'm sure it will. I'm 120 pounds soaking <laughs> wet. Uh, oh, what's the time difference in Hawaii like? So everything is super early. Like if you're watching sports, you're watching it during the afternoon, yeah? Yeah, so it's either two or three hours based on daylight saving time. Okay. But that, oh, oh, sorry, we're on the East Coast. From, but, yeah, okay, from so California. From, from it's like California. from us. Yeah, something. so from California, it's two or three hour difference. And we don't have daylight saving time in Hawaii, so like. We shouldn't have it here either. It's so stupid. Yeah, so, I read a whole thing about it. It, it doesn't was, make any sense. Yeah, it was like a brand new thing to me when i moved to the mainland like i'm like what is this it's stupid Weird. yeah sorry about that no worries. um uh oh what's the most exotic animal you've ever seen <laughs> well okay so there's no snakes in hawaii is that a common misconception maybe but there's no snakes so anytime i see a snake anywhere up in the mainland i freak out because oh. we don't have that in hawaii interesting yeah uh did you like moana yes i loved it lilo and stitch Yes, I loved it. I cosplayed all of those for I, my weigh-ins. No, I know, but oh, okay. I'm setting up for a question. <laughs> okay. What movie gives the most accurate representation of, for, of Hawaii? Lilo and Stitch. Really? Yeah, because her, her older sister, Nani, has to take care of her baby sister and is struggling and like living in poverty, and they're Hawaiian. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah, so that, that's very accurate. Very interesting. I like Lilo and Stitch, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you hang less than 10? I do not surf. I am like the only Hawaiian that doesn't surf. All right. I mean, you fight. You got that skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's one. Does Hawaii claim Hawaiian punch? Hmm. That's a good question. I think they do, but we, I think we, we drink is more pog. Pog. What's pog? Pog is passion orange guava juice. Oh, wow. Sounds yeah. Good. I haven't had Hawaiian punch forever. Uh, does Hawaii claim the rock? 
He always he always <laughs> talks about being Hawaiian, but he also talks about being from California and Maya everywhere. Is he like a fake Hawaiian? Um, I wouldn't call him fake, and he's actually Samoan, which is Polynesian. Yep. So he's definitely lo- like he's from Hawaii. He's local, but uh, it's really funny. There's this Instagram. What's it? I don't. But but it's a it's a Hawaiian guy that puts the the rock like face swap thing on. Oh yeah, and he calls himself Pohaku, which is actually translated to rock in Hawaiian. Oh nice. But it, the way he talks, he's like, "Hello, this is Pohaku. Aloha," <laughs> and he like talks with a super white accent, yeah. but says Hawaiian, whereas it's freaking hilarious. So I would say that's pretty accurate in how we uh, how we think of Dwayne Johnson. Okay, okay, <laughs> fair. Uh, uh, do they make lays with real flowers? Yes. Oh, wow. I didn't know. That. I figured they were all fake because here when we get them for like my sister's sweet 16 had like a Hawaiian theme. It was all fake. Oh, yeah. All that stuff fake, but ours is real. Um, do you guys eat canned ham all the time? I heard you guys it's just spam. eat spam. Yeah. It's spam. Yes. What's we up do. with that? It's delicious. I've never had it. It's delicious. You got to try it, fry it up, put it on some rice and wrap it with nori or nodi, sorry. And uh, it'll be a spam musubi. All right. I'll try it. Um, what's the bug situation in Hawaii like? I hate bugs. My worst fear. I want to go to Hawaii real bad, though. Mm-hmm. You see sometimes there's these crazy bugs. Are there crazy bugs in Hawaii? Um, no, but there are. Well, no, there are, but just get mosquito repellent. They're not super crazy. Oh, the mosquitoes there But the crazy. mosquitoes. Dude, I get eaten alive by mosquitoes. Might be bad, but only in, like, the valley. So, like, my house has mosquitoes because we have a stream in there. But, yeah, if you're, like, in Waikiki and everything, there's no mosquitoes down there. But no crazy, like, giant spiders? No. All right, good. Uh, what do we got next? Oh, have you ever met Dog the Bounty Hunter? Uh, no, but he went to my sister's house one time looking for a crackhead. Oh, shit. That's awesome. Have you ever seen a shark? Yes. Small, though. It was small. Wasn't... You see the fin? Yes. Sticking oh, oh, no. Like, I was in the water when I saw them. Oh, shit. That's yeah. even scarier. Yeah, it's fine, though. We were just, like, picking opihi off the coast of Molokai. They're small sharks. And when you see it, you don't run for your life? No, I'm terrified. I'm like, oh, fuck. But, you know, you just have to be calm. You say it's okay like crazy. <laughs> uh, this one is a question on behalf of me. Do you ever get too high sometimes and then just think about how far Hawaii is from everything else and get worried? So, I looked at it on Google Maps today and I was like, oh, my God. It's uh, – I wrote it down. Uh, 2,390 miles away from the closest thing. And I read that if – there's some kind of disaster happened where we couldn't get food there. We're the, fucked. The island only has food for three days. Yep. Because we get everything imported. Does that scare you? Yeah. That's terrifying. It is. I read that before. My heart started beating fast. Yeah. Like the whole island shuts down. Like there was a power outage one year and like everybody lost their shit. The whole island shut down. Or there's if there's like a hurricane warning, Costco's empty. What about the nuclear nuclear warning? Oh, dude, that was crazy. All your family get texts like I was there. I was actually home. So did you get the notification? I was home and it was um, it was super crazy because that was. Right after my belt burned in a house fire. I'm not sure if you saw that on my social media. But literally less than a month after I won the belt for the first time, I was at a sponsor's house on a different island doing promo and left my belt at their house. We went out to party. When we came back, the whole house was on fire. And I'm like, oh, uh, okay, Uh, Bellator, uh, there's my belt inside that house right now. Um, And so I lost my belt in the fire. And then we're all we're literally all covered in ashes and yeah. soot. We didn't sleep all night. All of our phones are pretty much dead because our charges were inside there. We have to go through extra security because all of our shit was in the house. Like when we go to the airport. Oh yeah. And then um, we finally make it back to Oahu, and I finally get showered. I'm nice and clean. I lay down in bed. I'm like, oh, 
so nice. And then my phone starts ringing. I look at it, and, and it's it like... says a nuke is incoming? Missile inbound. Seek shelter immediately. This is not a drill. Oh, my and God. And I'm like, oh, okay, what are you trying to tell me? <laughs> How long was it before they knew that that wasn't, like, real? Uh, was it, it minutes? It was, no, it was, like, 15 minutes. Holy shit. Yeah, it was So were you, like, actually, pan- like, seeking shelter, panicking? Or were you so, like, there's no way this is real? My sister, at first, the only ones that were home were uh, my dad and I. And of course, we start getting everybody starts calling us. My sisters are all calling. They're all worried about us. They're, you know, and and they're like in their car. One of them is like frantically bawling. She's like, close the windows, close the windows. She's freaking out. So me and my dad are like going around the house trying to close everything. And then after a while, it wouldn't help with a nuke, dude. Yeah. And then my dad's like, honey, if it if it lands, we're dead because these are single panel like walls. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's just go inside the room. I was like, OK. So we just went inside uh, his bedroom. And we just laid in bed and we're like, we, we started saying our goodbyes. Like oh he started God. tech. We because started, someone hit the wrong button. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, dad, we've accomplished a lot. I was like, we, we've lived a really good life. Like I could die right now and I'd be happy. Holy shit. <laughs> so yeah, we what just a heavy, accepted probably it. A teenager hit the wrong yeah. button. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's up with the Hawaiian alphabet? You got twelve letters. Yeah. So how does that work? The vowels are the same: i, e, o, u, and then yep. the consonants are ahakalama, napava. So. And all Hawaiian words are just made up of those twelve letters. Yes. That's bananas. Mm-hmm. And there's never going to be two consonants next to each other, but there can be like. As many as three to four vowels, yeah. I've seen some words. Yeah, like Ka'ava. <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. Is, it, is that super hard to learn, I assume? No, you know, and it has the same structure as Spanish, so that's why, like, a lot of Spanish people, and, and the same pronunciation for the vowels, yeah. so that's why Spanish speakers are the only ones that get my name right in the first try. Oh, interesting. Did mm-hmm. I get it wrong? No, what? it was fine, but you've Alina heard it Lay? before. Oh, yeah. Clo- you kind of say it like a white person, but whatever. I mean, look at me. Yeah. Like, duh. <laughs> I'm about as white as it gets. And uh, what's your favorite Hawaiian music? Who makes the best Hawaiian music? That's the final one. Hawaiian music, I'm going to say Dennis Pavao because he was the one that I walked out to for Bellator Hawaii. Yep. I walked out to, uh, we call him the golden voice of Hawaii. And, Can and, you compare him like four Hawaiians? Like, who would that be for us? Is he like a? Is he like an Elvis figure? Is he like a Prince figure? Is he like a like someone who's very classic? Like, what's a classic? Like James Brown. I'm trying to think more. Frank Sinatra, like a Frank like, Sinatra. Yeah, yeah, because he's the golden voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe Dennis Pavel, but also my brother-in-law's really badass. His group is called Nahoa, and they, they, yeah, they're amazing. How do you spell that? N A Space H O A. I'll check them out. Nahua. Yeah. I'll check them out, and maybe we'll finish this episode with a, with one of their songs. Yes, we'll please. do that. They we'll love do that. it. Yeah, we'll do that. All right, that's it for my interview with Alima Lay McFarland. It was a pleasure sitting down with you, champ. Thank you, uh, and I can't wait to see you back in the cage again. Yes, thank you. You got to make your way to Hawaii in December. Oh shit! Yeah, I really do. Thanks again to Alima Lay for joining the show. It was my pleasure having her in the office this week, and I can't wait to do it again with her sometime. Enjoy Bellator 222 tonight. I know I will. I'll be tweeting about it at Robbie Barstool.